Stick with the slang, stick in investment for fame. Do for the fam, not for the gram. Stunt me investment for pain. I do not front, I do not scam. Put some respect on my name. Sick like a bang, click and I bang. Y'all gon' remember the name. Y'all gon' remember the name. What's up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls around the world? I would like to welcome you back to the podcast. This is Real Talk with Zuby. Today we've got on a special guest. This is Caroline Farrow. She is a writer and a journalist, as well as a commentator as well. I believe she's also a wife and a mother. So welcome to the show, Caroline. How are you doing? Yeah, great, thanks. Hi, Zuby. How's everything going? Uh, I'm exhausted, actually. I didn't realize, I said you off air, I didn't realize this was going to be a live stream with my face. Otherwise, I would have, you know, looked more presentable. But yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely crazy. Um, last week, we had a press knocking at our door. We had the Daily Mail, the Express, Telegraph, you know, all, all the, you know, you as a journalist, you never want to become the story and of mm. course that's exactly what happened um so yeah it has been quite mad so run us through tell us what actually happened why were the police knocking at your door why were the media knocking at your door what have you been up to caroline i've <laughs> been very naughty um so I often appear on television when they want a kind of Catholic conservative view on things. I'm almost like, gosh, you're too young to remember, but I'm like the kind of 21st century Mary Whitehouse, you know, who's supposed to clutch her pearls and say, oh, isn't it terribly shocking uh, whenever I see sort of state of the morals of the nation decline, so to speak. And I've, I was asked to go on Good Morning Britain in September about Girl Guides, okay? So Girl Guides were changing their policy meaning that they were going to allow in uh, boys who identify as girls. And they wanted me to go on in sort of the role of the outraged mother who won't let her children join guides as a result of this new policy. And, and actually, this was not um, a trope or a conceit. My eldest daughter had been in uh, Rainbows and Brownies, and my younger daughters have been agitating to join the local pack. Uh, and I won't let them join because what the Girl Guide's new policy says is that if you are um, a boy who identifies as a girl, then you can join and you can go on the overnight trips. and uh, parents won't be allowed to know. So your teenage daughter could be sharing a tent with somebody with a male body or intimate changing facilities and you won't be allowed to be informed. And that also extends to volunteers. So, you know, the guides are now going to let um, men who identify as women be volunteers in guiding, which means, you know, quite often they'll be helping them with personal care and all sorts. And we as parents won't be allowed to know. So I went on Good Morning Britain to debate this with Susie Green. And I have to say, uh, and Susie Green is the chief executive officer of Mermaids. So that's the UK charity that lobbies uh, and advocates for the rights of transgender children. And I have to say the debate was really frustrating because Susie just trilled, oh, trans girls are girls. And I was thinking, no, you know, that's such an easy trope, isn't it? Trans girls are girls, they just want to be girls. No, they're not simply girls. What does it mean to be a girl? It doesn't mean to have a penis and testicles and a male body if you're a girl. Uh, and, and the debate finished, and it was quite funny because I've been on television an awful lot over the last eight years, and I've debated people who are completely ideologically opposed to me, and that's fine, and we really disagree strongly, but we've always been really civil and pleasant and nice. And Susie just stormed off the set without making any eye contact at all. And then a week later, no, 10 days later, I discovered that she was still pursuing uh, Posey Parker, who you've had on the show, mm. uh, behind Standing for Women, who does the adult human female billboards. She was still pursuing uh, Posey Parker via the police because of things that's, that Posey has said about Susie Green's child. And I, I was just so incensed by this and by what Susie Green was advocating. I said the same thing, and that is namely that, you know, Susie Green had her child uh, castrated and mutilated and she advocates this for other children. And, you know, I just think it's outrageous and, and we need to be aware of what it is that's being advocated. Um, so I made a series of tweets, about four or five tweets, um, and I forgot all about it. And because I have activists all over my Twitter account all the time, I have a tweet cleaner on it, which automatically deletes stuff every two weeks. Um, I can't remember. It might be 10 days, but, you know, regularly. I have a regular interval where everything just gets wiped. So I heard nothing. You know, didn't, you know, forgot all about it. Didn't, I wasn't saying it to get a reaction. I just thought, you know, hang on. Posey is not the only one saying this, you know, solidarity. Mm. And then last Monday, I got a phone call and um, she left a message and I had to ring her back. And basically she said, uh, I need to speak to you about some tweets you sent. 
she said, following an interview you had with an appearance you made with Susie Green on um, Good Morning Britain. This phone call is from who? Uh, from the police, Surrey police. Okay. Saying, you know, following an interview you had on Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan and Susie Green, um, my first thought was, oh my goodness, this is crazy. This is nonsense. This is insane. I'm going to be interviewed for something I said on television. Uh, you know, this is my opinion. Uh, you made a series of tweets to uh, Susie Green and you misgendered her daughter. And I was like, whoa. And uh, wait, to be clear, and to be clear by daughter, you biologically mean son, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, and I, I thought, whoa. Uh, and I couldn't remember precisely what I said. I, I remembered vaguely that I had criticized her, but I, you know, I couldn't remember the specifics. And all I was told was I misgendered. I was going to be called in for a police interview, which is, you know, taped under caution. So when they do that, they suspect you of committing a crime. And I said to her, okay, so what crime am I accused of? And, and she said malicious communications. So I looked up the provisos of the Malicious Communications Act and I didn't I couldn't see how I fitted any of them. I wasn't saying anything that I knew was 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 untrue or that was untrue and I suspected to be untrue with the purposes of causing alarm or distress or, or anxiety. I wasn't um saying anything indecent, obscene, grossly offensive. And you know, I wasn't even tagging in uh, Susie Green on Twitter. I wasn't using her handle. I was talking about her, not to her. I certainly wasn't saying anything derogatory uh about her daughter to her face, you know, I was just saying, this is the objective reality of what you did. So I said to the police, you know, I haven't done this. And they, and I also said, you know, I pulled the religion card and I said, under articles nine and 10 of the European Convention on Human Rights, um, you know, this, this is my belief and my freedom of speech and my beliefs are protected under law. Uh, and that didn't cut any ice. And I said, you know, we're, we're having a conversation here about what it means to be male and what it means to be female. This whole transgender issue is part of a national conversation. I've been contributing to it in a professional capacity. Um, you know, th this is this is my belief that men and women cannot change sex. And she said, well, the CPS have authorised us to uh, bring you in for a taped interview under caution. And then it began to get really sinister. She said, so you need a solicitor. You will need a solicitor. Let me book you in a solicitor. And I said, no, I want my own solicitor. And, sorry, let's just get a time frame. How long ago was this? So, uh, so this was sort of six months ago that I'd made the tweets and that they okay. were deleted. Um, and, you know, they were ringing me up six months later. So I said to the police, uh, I did not want the duty solicitor, um, you know, which for the, anyone American who's listening, it's, you know, like the public prosecute, you know, the, the, the public defender. Uh, I said, no, I don't want the duty solicitor. Um, and she said, well, you'll need one. Let me book one in now. Let me. And I said, no, I don't, you know, can I call you back with my solicitor's details? I, I don't, you know, I knew that I didn't want uh, a duty solicitor because they have links with the local police station they may not be they that might not be their specialist area of law and I didn't want to be browbeaten into accepting a caution because with a caution you admit criminal wrongdoing and it goes on your record and that could affect my job it could affect any volunteering I do for, for my husband's church it could it would mean I wouldn't be able to go to America so I thought no I'm not going to be browbeaten into anything and I just said no I want my own solicitor and she said well if you don't turn up for the interview, a summons will be issued for your arrest. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, I haven't even indicated that I'm not going to come. I just want my own solicitor. You know, five minutes ago, you're telling me that I have to come in for interview. I'm suspected of a crime of misgendering. And now you're telling me that if I don't turn up, I'll be arrested. Um, it, it was just it was pretty extraordinary and scary. So I then said to her, look, I believe that you're being used to harass me, actually. You know, you're being used by this, this, this particular complainant to harass me. I'm feeling quite alarmed and distressed, <laughs> at which point she backed off and said, well, OK, I'm back on shift, you know, whenever. Can you call me with your solicitor's details? Wow. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I don't even, that's a lot to take in right there. Um, so this all happened a, a couple of weeks ago from the date we're filming this. Is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So um, that happened last Monday. So okay. I, I'm, a, you know, as you know, I'm a journalist. So um, what I did was I actually had a print deadline that night. I had a column to finish and, I, you know, I couldn't 
I just tried to write something. And then I thought, no, I'm not having this. This is just grossly unfair. This is a major injustice. Uh, and I went onto Twitter and, and explained what had happened. Uh, and instantly, you know, it just went viral. People couldn't believe what they were reading. And I, you know, in some ways, when I put it on Twitter, I wasn't expecting actually this reaction. I just wanted to kind of highlight it and see if I could get some backup, and, you know. Uh, and then, you know, people were agreeing with me and saying, you know, this is outrageous. Um, and then the next thing, 24 hours later, uh, Susie Green, who had made the complaints, uh, went on BBC television and she uh, showed the tweets. She showed the tweets that I had said. And she said, you know, Caroline is, is lying. You know, this isn't just about misgendering. Look, she said that my daughter was was castrated and mutilated. And, you know, this is abuse and this is terrible. And, you know, look how bad it is. And, and I thought, gosh, you know, let what I've said stand. Let that be out there. Let let people read what I said about you castrating your son and mutilating your son and that I think this is child abuse. Let people see it and judge for themselves. Let them look at the facts and judge for themselves whether or not I'm right. And I was actually, when, when the tweets were released, I thought this is glorious, <laughs> really good, this is glorious because now everyone can see, you know, and I knew that I hadn't said anything abusive, that this was just, you know, objective comment. Mm. Um, so, so for me, yeah, it, it it was good news, although it was frustrating because I couldn't comment because I was still under police investigation. They were, you know, one of the things that was really sinister that the police said was, oh, we need to uh, ascertain her motivation for saying what she said, you know, so that kind of if you say anything on social media with the motivation of upsetting people which people do all the time every, you know every, every day every minute every hour you know, then somehow it, it would be a crime and Susie Green really shot herself in the foot because she actually admitted on on the BBC that she had reported me for misgendering that that had formed part of her complaint that I was mm. against the you know the equality act in terms of what I'd said you know and and it was it was interesting it was like the Streisand effects she was trying to say look look what she said about me and everyone was saying well actually that's right isn't it that's what you did <laughs> oh gosh yeah so am I right? So you said you had this uh tweet cleaner thing going so is it the case that you yourself were not able to pull up the old yeah, tweet yeah that's personally? right Okay. Right. So I, I didn't know what it was. So Susie Green, by releasing this to the Victoria show, the Victoria Derbyshire show, um, she then completely scuppered any potential police investigation because, you know, I, if it had gone to trial, you know, I couldn't be said to be to have a fair trial because it had all been, you know, released out in the public um, mm. first. But even before she did that, my um, solicitor said to me, look, th if this goes to district court, they'll just chuck it out. They'll just chuck it out won't get anywhere because you know um so it's just her being vexatious but she then told Zubri so she told Good Morning Britain she was dropping the charges she told all media outlets she was dropping the charges she told Victoria Derbyshire she was dropping the charges but she didn't actually tell the police so the police said we cannot drop the charges until she formally signs something um so you know I couldn't talk about it until I had officially heard from Surrey police uh that they were that it was being dropped and you know the whole thing was a complete farce uh, and in the end it had to be dropped but you know she admitted that she she did it because uh I was a journalist and I shouldn't be using my platform <laughs> for that so you know it it is it was really sinister yeah so the whole ordeal lasted under 2 weeks is that correct mm -hmm. yeah you know it didn't it lasted probably actually about four or five days, but it has had, you know, it's had some knock on effects on my husband, you know, who has found himself targeted too. you know, people can be really anti-diluvian. They think that, you know, let's hold uh, my husband accountable for his wife's views. Um, mm. And it, you know, it's kind of, it's difficult in the real world. You know, I was, was out shopping the other day and, I, you know, you feel like everybody's looking at you and, you know, <laughs> it, it, it hasn't been all that pleasant. And, you know, I also know that I've still got the activists after me, you know, looking to kind of shut me down. But but the other thing I think I would say is, you know, so give us spare a thought for Posey Parker here because um, she's still under police investigation for doing exactly the same thing. Mm. Um, and the only reason that, that it got dropped against me was because I have the journalistic contacts 
to kind of push back and make a fuss. Posey doesn't. And, you know, Susie Green is going after people. Um, in fact, the whole of Mermaids are going after people to kind of set an example, you know, pouring Corrigé les autres. Um, and, and to say, look, if you say these things, you're going to get the police on your door. And, you know, there's that other lady, Kate Scottow, who misgendered somebody and, you know, the police came to her door, arrested her, uh, put her in a police van, locked her up for seven hours without sanitary products, you know, in front of her kids because she um, misgendered and dead-named somebody. Um, so and, you know, I, have a, I have a question. So what, what crime are they even claiming that is being committed here? They're claiming kind of that it, that it's harassment, I think, and malicious communications. But actually, when people make themselves public figures and put themselves in the public eye, then arguably, as I know, you attract criticism and, you know, and you attract people saying really the most nasty things about you. The only way in which it veers into actual harassment if you, is if you really take it into real life and you just, you know, devote your entire Twitter feed, as people do about me. It's insane. I've got people devoting their entire social media output uh, to kind of proving what a dreadful person I am. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, I've had people out my kids' schools and, you know, my ex's details uh, and, you know, say really frightening things about disfiguring my face with acid and, you know... Uh, um, I've had kind of really, you know, sexually humiliating insults and, and suggestions and threats sort of chucked at us. You know, mm. people have done nothing about and, that. And, and, the, and these ones aren't crimes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So, you know, the police are like really selective about. I mean, one of the things I said to the police when this, so I had this deranged man posting photos showing that he was three minutes walk away from our house, saying, "Oh yeah, mass is going to about mass at their church is going to get really interesting because you know my husband's a priest." Mm. Um, and the police said to me, oh, "Have you been talking about transgender issues on on Twitter?" <laughs> uh, and I was like, what's, what's that got to do with it? And, you know, all the time that this man was, you know, targeting my kids, he was posting pictures of my kids and my ex's details and names and employment details. He, and he, was, po he was posting these where? Uh, he was posting this on a website, on an abusive website he's got about me. He, he posted uh, my, my ex-husband's uh, employment details, who he worked for. He said he was going to contact my ex-husband to find out how many men you've had up there, Farrow. Um, he was obsessed with my sex life. He's always talking about my sex life. He's ordering me sex toys, uh, saying which ones I need and that I should bend over and, you know, slip my knickers down, bend over. and uh, It's gross. Okay. Um, and he's saying all of this. And, you know, the police are like, well, just don't look at it if you don't like it. <laughs> oh wow yeah yeah wow so wow there's there's a lot here uh, yeah, this, yeah. Is, this is very orwellian this this sounds like something out of like a dystopian novel rather than rather than real life um but in a very weird way which is sad it, at the same time it doesn't really surprise me in a way because i have seen this stuff going on now for a couple of years it's been uh encroaching firstly i think primarily in canada and now you're starting to see this happening in the UK where you've got these weird thought crime laws where people are literally being investigated for a thought crime, for, for tweets, for Facebook posts, for not agreeing with certain ideologies, basically. And the whole thing is, it's very, very bizarre. So, I mean, one thing I've been trying to understand, especially for the last couple of weeks after having spoken, you know, speaking to you, having spoken to uh, Megan Murphy, Posey Parker, and lots of different people online is... What I've been wondering for the past couple of years is where is this where is this power of activism coming from? You know what I mean? Like this ideology and this way of thinking and the desire to punish people who don't go along with it. I mean, this has got some power behind it. Like I, I'm confused as to where where it's all sprung up from because it, it's very recent and this is this is all a new thing. So do you, I don't know if you have any more insight to it than I do. Yeah, well, I think it's it's you know it's it's the inevitable. What happens when you have identity uh, politics and competing victim groups? Um, you know, you you kind of got different groups uh, competing for victim status, and and they've managed to embed the idea that somehow words and ideas uh, that are harmful or can be harmful. You know, people need to be persecuted and silenced in order, you know, to, to shut down those ideas. So instead of kind of debating the ideas themselves, you know, if you get something like racism, yeah, then of course that's abhorrent. Nobody is 
you know, endorsing that, but you can beat that. You can beat that ideology with arguments about human dignity and equality. You don't, you know, and, and you, nobody, I think what we forget is that no matter how abhorrent an idea that somebody holds, we can't stop it. We can't stop somebody from thinking what they want to think. You know, actually mm. what we can do is uh, not allow these ideas, you know, to dominate. But actually everything, not agreeing with something is being designated as hate. Um, and I think it's partly because we're in a post-Christian society. I also think as well, you know, I blame a lot of the kind of neoliberalism that we, we've had, you know, starting with Tony Blair. Yeah, you know, people are so worried about reputation and, and style and, and optics, what something looks like. They're so worried about their reputation that they've forgotten what's right and what's wrong. So you have institutions um, sacking people and silencing people because they're very worried, you know, um, it's kind of capitalism gone mad. They're, they're so worried that it might affect their brand or their reputation and they can't be tarnished with it, that they actually uh, then, you know, sack good employees and, and, and sack decent people. And, and that does, that, that's what's giving, um, I think, a lot of these activists traction and power. And, you know, yesterday we've seen a case of um, Helen Joyce, you know, who's a, the financial editor of The Economist. She's been bullied uh, by really powerful activists who have written to the paper and said, you know, you should sack her and they've taken adverts out. What, and, what, did, what did she do? I'm not familiar with this case. Oh, OK, so she... Um, She's just criticised the transgender ideology, but she's done so very fairly. She's written a number of articles, you know, criticising what's happening in society uh, and, and criticising the ideology. And, and, you know, so she's come under enormous pressure, you know, to be sacked. And thank God for people like The Economist, whose editors have said, no, she's an outstanding journalist and we stand by her. And we need more of that. We need much, much more of that. Mm. We need more employers to be brave and to say, do you know what? This is a really good employee. Uh, I'm not going to sack my employee or punish my employee for expressing their opinions, which they're perfectly entitled, you know, to hold and they're perfectly legitimate opinions. And, and I think this is where people are, it's, it's, it's kind of like an Alinsky -like tactic as well, you know, freeze, pick your target, freeze, isolate, you know, and fling as much as you can um, in order to, to put that target under pressure. But it, it's really, I think a lot of institutions and employers are giving people power that they just don't deserve. Mm. You know, so what if your employee uh, thinks something that you don't agree with? The question is, are they doing a good job? Are they doing a good job? Uh, are, are they, you know, actually in other aspects uh, reflecting well on your institution? And, and yes, they ca yes, they are. It is not the job of any of our employers to police what we think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy. I mean, this stuff has been happening for a while, but I think it's new that the police are getting involved in it to the point where it's becoming like a, a question of criminality, a question of legality. That's the, that's where I'm really starting to get, whoa, this is, this is scary, right? This is weird. Cause you know, you've got dealing with private individuals or private companies and whatnot, and they can have their own policies and rules and things like that. I, I might not agree with them, but I kind of get that. But when you're trying to make it criminal to say something that is of a different ideology or even to say something that is factually correct, that's the scariest thing. If someone is going to make a factually, scientifically correct statement, and then you want to prosecute someone for making that statement, I don't know what land or country you're you're kind of living in anymore because that's that is 1984 that's airstrip one yeah but that's, <laughs> that's insane why and and that kind of this is really a lesson for i mean because I, I was talking about this last night and you know i think in america you've got your first there's first amendment rights which are not likely to be stripped but what's happening is these lobby groups so mermaids you know the lobby group concerned with susie green as the ceo they are conducting uh, training courses for the police and they've got really close links with the police force. And, and you know, it's like religious indoctrination. So they are telling the police um, a load of bunkum about gender, about what it means to be male and female. Uh, and they're telling the police 
you know, that this is hate crime. And, you know, they feel so dreadfully offended. And the, and the police are trying to get their woke points and their crime statistics up because it's much easier to ring me up, isn't it, than actually fight some knife crime. Yeah, because there's uh, no real crime going on. You know, and, and if you, there's another guy, Harry Miller, who, you know, I mean, what's happened to him is outrageous. You know, the, the police rang him up. Is he the guy who retweeted the, the limerick? That's right. And, you know, yeah. the police... The police rang him up to check his thinking. And then yesterday he had, uh, or two days ago, he had a phone call. He complained about this from the inspector about his complaint. And the, expect the inspector basically said, well, you shouldn't be putting things on Twitter that will upset people. <laughs> he was like, but this is politics. Are you telling me not to in engage in politics? And, and the police officer said, well, I don't understand why you would say things that would upset a whole group of people. And it, it really is like feelings are being put uh, before facts, but it is not the job of the police to tell people what they can and cannot say on social media unless it really does veer into criminal ha harassment or incitement. You know, of course mm. there are some things that we shouldn't say. Um, but, you know, you need to have a really light touch. And, and what's so ironic about this is that when I was saying, look, this guy's talking about disfiguring me with acid and putting information out there that identifies my children, you know, they were going, well, that's obviously his opinion about you. So, you know, and you've got your opinion and he's got his opinion. And yet, then they mm. come after me at the same time for expressing my opinion, which, you know, yes, it was a strongly held opinion, but it's not one that outs any private information, tells people where Susie Green lives or where her child lives or, you know, I mean, all this information Susie Green has put out there in the public domain herself. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it is just extraordinary. Yeah, but you're in the you're legally in the clear now. Is that correct? Ho hopefully over this one, but I I just don't I just wouldn't put it past them actually to try something civilly, you know, to try and sue me for defamation. And you know, my mum, bless her, said to me, "Wow, my mum, my mum's great." And she said to me, <laughs> sent me an email and she said, "Caroline, you've done really really well." She said, "But you know, just please be really really careful about what you say because you know now they are really going to be after you because." Mm. You know, but I've I've shown up what they're trying to do. I've, yeah, I've shown up. the fact that she even has to say that. I mean, it's terrorist tactics. Yeah, it's, it's quite by definition. It's like it's terrorist tactics. You're you're trying to instill fear in people to impact their behavior and their words. You want to make them terrified of stating certain opinions, even if they hold them to be true. Stating certain facts, even if those facts are true, like verifiably true, like. I mean, there are opinions and then there are facts, but it's yeah. like you're getting to the stage where you want to prosecute people or you want to harass people or you want to deplatform de people for saying things which are factually true. Like I'm wearing a red T-shirt right now, but that's like me trying to force you to believe that the T-shirt is yellow. And if you do not believe that the T-shirt is yellow and you continue to say that it's red, I can now go after you or get the police to come after you or get you deplatformed. It's, it's so weird. It's just strange to me because... Six, seven years ago and beyond, I certainly did not see the UK going down this road. I did not see Canada going down this road. And yeah. it's like in the past five years, there's just been this huge upsurge and, and it's increasing in speed. And mm. you're having debates on TV saying, oh, should, should uh, misgendering be a hate crime? Like that's, a, that's an actual debate. Should men, yeah, yeah, yeah. Should, should men do, do men have a physical advantage over women? This is now a debate, which, which I've gotten rolled into because I posted that viral deadlift video, of course, a few weeks ago. The weirdest thing to me throughout it all is I'm like, how is this thing a debate? Like, well, how, have, how have we gotten here where this is even a question if men have a physical advantage over women in terms of strength and speed? The cavemen would have known that. Do you know, what I mean? that's the thing. And I'm like, how is this? It's weird. It's very weird. Well, do you know, I mean, the funny I did. Um, and it was ironic. So it was really ironic. So a couple of weeks ago, before this phone call hit, I did a, a BBC One uh, program. You know, it's a Sunday morning flagship religious ethics program, the big questions. And uh, one of the things I was saying was how activists are kind of stalking and trolling my Twitter feed to find whatever they can to report to Twitter to have me shut down or to go to the police. <laughs> and then funnily enough, the police ring me. In that program, I said, you know, and this is this is my deeply held view, and it's you know, it's based on science as much as it is faith. Actually, I mean, it's it's science, it's evidence, it's fact. I said that you know, men cannot turn into women, and women cannot turn into men. You know, this is kind of biology. 
And um, there were these ladies next to me saying, oh, this is outrageous. I can't believe you're saying this. I can't believe, you know, oh, oh, you shouldn't be, you know, uh, this is outrageous. This is so offensive. And we ought to have a trans person on here to kind of, you know, counter this. This is so bad. This is so outrageous. And I was thinking, I couldn't, it, it was one of this, you know, twilight zone moments. You know, I'm, I'm stating biological fact that men can't turn into women, women can't turn into men. And people are foaming at the mouth because it's so outrageous and, you know, so unkind. And we need a trans person to say what they think. This is fact, you know, this is really, you know, the, the emperor's new clothes. And, mm. you know, w- what stunned me then was this week, I went on Good Morning Britain again <laughs> on Monday. And, you know, Susanna Reid and Piers Morgan laid into me for not being very nice and for being... Oh, very- I, I did see that, actually. I did see that. I was quite shocked. I was quite shocked by Piers, in fact. I thought normally, normally I tend to 70, 80% of the time, I think he's got a good take. But on that one, I was like, yo, what's up, man? I just thought it was, I mean, there's there's something delicious irony about Piers Morgan telling you off for not being respectful. Um, There they are telling me that it's really personal and really horrible to talk about someone's child being castrated and mutilated. Which, Which is the technical term. Yeah, yeah. So it's more unkind to describe <laughs> the procedure well, yeah. than actually do the procedure on a child on their on their 16th birthday you know let's let's have a go at Caroline for you know not being kind and empathy and oh, this is all terrible and I was thinking but this is the woman that on a BBC documentary was pictured I don't know if you've seen the clip giggling over the fact that their child's um, genitals their penis and, and, and testicles are all shrunken because of the puberty blockers and across sex hormones so there isn't enough material to work with so they have to do a a more dangerous um procedure and i thought there you are having a go at me for being personal and she's discussing what her child's genitals look like to the whole world and it's funny i've got a 15 year old and and i was talking to her about it you know and i said how would you like it if mummy you know discussed your you know your intimate parts on tv you know and she was like oh my yeah. she said I know you wouldn't do that and of course I wouldn't it would infringe her dignity and her privacy and 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 this is you know Susie Green has infringed her own child's dignity and privacy in an age where we're being told to be so careful about what we put on social media and pictures of the children that she's happily giggling away over the fact that her you know child has got you sort of I don't know a misshapen misformed um genitals because of being given medication and we're all mm. supposed to turn a blind eye and go well you know she's being the person that she's always wanted to be and that, and that will of course render that child infertile for life now won't it yeah exactly and you know here's here's another comparison so i got told off for saying <laughs> that she rendered her child sterile but you know if you were to go to the doctor tomorrow you haven't got kids have you not yet no no so if you were to go to the doctor tomorrow and say do you know what I made a decision. I don't want kids. I want a vasectomy. Do it now. You just put me in. I, I really don't want kids. I know that I don't want kids. Just, you know, they wouldn't do it. The NHS would not do it because they would say, you don't have children and you're too young. You know, the NHS won't sterilise an adult, a childless, a, a young adult, mm. because um, I, I guess partly cost, but also because they know that there's a big probability later down the line there could be regret. And yet, and yet they will happily... Um, or Susie Green advocates that, you know, children as young as, you know, 10 or 11, uh, as as soon as you want puberty blockers, you should get them. Uh, And, you know, that if you want cross-sex hormones, you should have them. You know, her policy is why wait? So um, I think we should be talking about whether or not it's right to do this to a a 12 or 13-year-old and and how can they consent? How can they, you know... It doesn't make sense because it opens the gateway to a whole host of other problems. Because if children are allowed to consent to that, then there is absolutely no reason why they should not be able to consent to a whole bunch of other things. And with me personally, like this is one of those issues where in the most part, like I wouldn't care. But when certain lines are crossed, it does force me to care. Right. If you're talking about stuff that's going to impact children, if you want, as soon as you're bringing children into it. As soon as you're, um, you know, having these situations where people are encroaching on female sports, et cetera, female changing rooms, you're having pe- men with penises and beards hanging out in the female shower. The notion that I should be able to go into a female, ch- the female changing room at my gym 
and be there drying myself amongst all like that whole notion provided that i say i'm a woman like i don't know how anyone whose brain is still functioning and who's yeah. remotely reasonable and sensible can be like yeah that's fine I did an interview last year on local radio. I think I've got it on my YouTube channel somewhere. And it was so, I mean, it was funny in, in that, you know, everyone was so woke. And it was about, um, you know, this issue of, of bathrooms at schools. And, you know, yeah, I guess a bit like Susie Green, you know, I don't impinge on her dignity, but I do sometimes make reference to my own children. And I was saying that, you know, I've got a teen daughter who would be really uncomfortable about having to share her changing rooms uh, with me. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, sure. you know, and and it, um, I think when you get children and you realise as well that you know teens have their own boundaries, so it doesn't matter how open you've been as a family about nudity and what have you, which you know our family has, but then they get to a certain age and they're just like, well, lock the door, lock the bathroom door, lock the bedroom door. That's fine. That's their boundaries. You respect it. And I was talking to to you know my daughter about this this whole issue and how would she feel about sharing her changing room with with someone who believed they're a girl and I said but shouldn't you be compassionate and she was going well yeah but I'd still feel uncomfortable and so I said on, on air I said look I was discussing this with my daughter who would be really uncomfortable about sharing her changing rooms you know with a male body and they were like why as if there was something wrong why yeah, yeah because because she's a teenager and you know she's a woman and it's her boundaries you know let's not pathologize this this is normal this is natural you know girls they have you know periods and they have you know all kinds of issues and and they just want their own space you know there's nothing wrong this is nothing and then this you know and they're like oh yeah you know <laughs> and then this this um trans um activist said i can't believe what i'm hearing you know this is like something out of the last century you know the righteous righteous indignation <laughs> and it's like but it's fine if a teenage girl does not want um, to share a, a changing room, or whatever, that's fine. And, you know, the other thing, I, I mean, I, this is, I'll infringe my own privacy here. I don't care. So a couple of weeks ago I had, and it's all fine, but I had um, a scare, an ovarian cancer scare, and I had to go and have, you know, an intimate scan uh, where they do an internal scan. And, you know, obviously it's never going to be a pleasant experience. And I was worrying, oh, I hope it's not a bloke. I really hope it's not a bloke. And I knew that if it was a bloke that did it, there would have to be a female chaperone. Mm. And fortunately, it was a lovely lady and, and I'm fine. There was nothing wrong. It's all, you know. And and the fact that it was a woman just kind of took away a bit of anxiety and she was very nice and very pleasant. And the, the whole experience, you know, it wasn't wonderful, but it wasn't awful either, you know, one of those things. And uh, I had been talking with a different trans activist who had said that if they were working for the NHS, and the NHS wouldn't let them perform smear tests and intimate, you know, tests and what have you on women. They would sue the NHS because that's transphobic, you know. And so you're talking about, you know, and it's all about their need to be validated mm. as a woman, as a woman, as opposed to the needs of vulnerable women, not to have, you know, as, as a woman, if you feel uncomfortable about a man doing intimate care on you uh then that's your right and you you, sh you shouldn't have to explain it away and and it's weird actually because i had a, a male gynecologist you know i don't that, that didn't bother me and and you know some things don't bother me um you know i was saying some of these activists who pass very well then i probably wouldn't mind sharing a, a bathroom with them you know but that's not for me to impose my yeah i'm fine with that mm. onto someone who is a lot more vulnerable than I am, you know, and this is what's going on. People are telling people, you should think this, you should be fine with this. If, if you know, and it's this whole cotton ceiling thing, isn't it? If you're, <laughs> I had to explain, so my husband's a Catholic priest, right? And I had to explain the cotton ceiling to him, <laughs> you know, uh, you know what the cotton ceiling, have you talked about the uh, cotton I, ceiling? I haven't talked about it on the podcast, but you're, you're very welcome to, to inform those who don't know. Okay, so the cotton ceiling is this idea that if you're a lesbian, uh, then you should like uh, trans women, i.e. those with penises. Um, <laughs> and if you don't, then you're phobic. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, and my husband, I was, ex and he couldn't believe it. You know, his eyes popped out of his head. He said, what you're telling me, you're telling me that lesbians have to like willies now. <laughs> and I said, yes. Mm. <laughs> and he was like, this is so, so do straight men. <laughs> so do straight men. If, there, if, there's, if there's another man who, who looks exactly like me, and he claims that he's a woman, and I say that I wouldn't date him. Then apparently I'm some kind of phobe as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just I'm not just heterosexual. I'm now 
I'm now a bigot because I don't want to date another man. I think what one thing that gives me hope is that a lot of these ideas that are coming out of this woke intersectionality sphere is they they're in direct conflict with each other. And in a weird way, like it's terrible that it's happening, but in a way it's kind of good yeah. that there's this clash between the original version of feminism and then this whole transgender ideology because these things are not compatible. They're yeah. not compa- they're not compatible. So I don't know I don't know which one's going to come out victorious in the long run, but I think that people are at least starting to be like, "Oh wow, okay, these these people who I thought were on my side or whatever, this is not actually the case because you know, you're having um I know when I spoke to both Posey and Megan for example, they were saying, "Gosh, this is, you know, this is the this is the conservatives, this is the non-feminists, this is all the people who perhaps they've had certain ideas about over the past years or even decades and had a negative perception of. And it's like, wow, these are the people who are actually defending women. (laughs) The amount of messages and emails I've received from people who call themselves feminists just saying like, thank you for sticking up for women's rights and standing up for women's equality in sport and all this kind of stuff. And it's, it's very strange to me because I'm not someone who, I don't call myself a feminist, I guess by the sort of original definition going way back, pretty much everybody is by that original definition, but I'm not really a fan of what a lot of it has morphed into in the past decade or so. So I don't personally go by the label, but hopefully needless to say, I stand for equal rights. I think women should be able to have their own space, have their own sports, have their own safety, their own privacy, their own security, all that stuff. Men and women are different. Cool. It's fine. It's always worked. No problem with that. If men and women were not different, none of us would even exist. So it's kind of weird, this whole thing. It's it's like it's going to have to come full circle and implode because <laughs> it, it, it doesn't make sense. I'm like, you can't hold all these different ideas together. You can't be saying that a man can be a woman and a woman can be a man, but men and women are the same thing, but also they're different. They all contradict. Well, I think the big irony of of, of all of this is, is that so I've never... You know, I, I'm a feminist in as much as probably the same as you. I really believe in female flourishing. And I also believe that, you know, female biology presents a unique set of problems for women that we have to deal with that men don't. Um, you know, but then again, I understand that male biology um, presents a different set of problems. Uh, and so I'm, I've never been one necessarily to say that men are all terrible oppressors and awful people. And, you know, I would, if you'd asked me, say, seven, eight years ago, I would have said that probably uh, we're not living in a patriarchy. Um, and, and I think, you know, aspects of that are still true. I think in, in, in areas of, of, of work, um, you know, in terms of, you know, people talk about the gender pay gap. Actually, I, I, I think a lot of that I would be on maybe Jordan Peterson's side there. But I think the ironic thing is that this kind of woke this woke liberal feminism is actually leading to a patriarchy, mm-hmm. leading to women being instrumentalized. You know, you know, this whole thing about, you know, no, I don't think anybody, not even me, has got a problem with um, LGBT equality in as much as people, you know, I certainly don't want to criminalize homosexuality, you know, I, and, and this is what people think, you know, because I, I have certain Christian views on marriage. People think that I want to send lesbians and gays off to the gulag and, you know, <laughs> no, no way, you know, yeah, I, you know, I'm very much live and let live. And so I think what's come alongside this um, L- LGBT equality is the idea that equality is sameness. So, you know, a man and a woman can have a child together. Therefore, um, you know, two men can have a child because that's only fair. But actually, it's not fair because in order for two men to have a child, they've got to, uh, you know, hire a surrogate and, you know, they have to instrumentalize a woman and they have to instrumentalize a child, you know, and I'm very much on board with a lot of the feminist ideas about surrogacy, about um, prostitution and sex work, you know, all of these things that... um, undermine the basic inherent dignity of women no so so we might disagree on things like abortion and things like what we think marriage is all about but on other areas there's there's a big big consensus and i see liberalism has actually the liberalism is leading to uh real female oppression in terms of you know uh sex work and um surrogacy and you know the ideas you know a woman is just you know 
is liberals that are calling us breeders and you know cervix havers and and you know and just just mm. oh oh yeah what was the one i uh, that was the, well, that one last year where they referring instead of saying vagina you're supposed to say front front hole front hole i mean what front is hole. that what is that all about cervix you know? haver and uh, instead of pregnant women um pregnant people that's right. And well, I was talking about this about three years ago when I first started talking about this. And I did a, a radio interview with someone and I was saying, look, men are saying that they can have babies. And this person thought I was insane and making it up. And was like, <laughs> of course, men can't have babies. And I said, no, there's this guy, you know, Trevor McDonald's, actually a woman. And of course, you know, Trevor McDonald's well known newsreader in the UK or was. And they thought, you know, I was on the wind up. They really thought I was on the wind up, you know, that mm. um, I was claiming. And I said, no, you know, and, and I could see, you know, the language of, female fertility and motherhood just being thrown away to, to suit uh, a tiny minority and when you then start denigrating female fertility which is bound up uh with being a woman and it doesn't matter whether or not you've got children i'm not saying you've got to have children uh to be a woman but actually women have to negotiate that their entire fertility their entire lives mm. whether or not to have children when to have children if they can or can't have children you know being a woman is is really bound up with fertility and when you start just kind of trying to sideline that that's when you actually sideline women and by, by just kind of reducing it to a function. Well, yeah. I did hear last week that um, men can now be mothers, apparently. Yeah. That's that's one I heard last week. It's it's getting harder and harder to tell the difference between people being serious and satire. And that was really exposed when I did my viral tweet because to this day, I'm still getting messages. I'm still getting tweets from people who my girlfriend was saying, you know, some people she knows were coming up to her and it was like, does Zuby actually identify as a woman now? We're like... What was that all about? You know, there's there's people who got angry at me because they thought that I had genuinely taken the record from women and they were saying that that's not fair. You're actually a bloke. You can't be doing that. So like people were upset for different reasons based on how they interpreted it, which was really fascinating because I was like, wow, people can't even tell if someone is being serious or not anymore. That's how far it's gone. So if someone is there on TV talking about men can be mothers, then I'm kind of sitting there like, I don't know if they're just trolling. Like, I don't know. Is there, I don't know. If, I don't know if this is. Here I am. Like, I don't know if this is just like a troll, and they're just there, tongue in cheek. Like, haha, I'm gonna go stir some stuff up, or if they genuinely believe what they're saying. And it, it's very difficult to tell now. People have disengaged critical thought. And although this is really funny, so there was someone yesterday. Um, I think she's called Sally Hines, and she's come out with some <laughs> extraordinary statements, like the female state, the female skeleton did not exist uh, before the Enlightenment. You know what? <laughs> 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 it's, it's, it's the religious people who aren't scientific, right? Yeah. And um, the, the thing is, although part of it is very funny, you've also got a slightly more sinister side to it because you've got you know trans women saying that they deserve womb transplants and they deserve you know the opportunity. You know when womb transplants really become mainstream, they deserve them and they. Deserve Deserve the opportunity uh, to have a baby. Now, if you think of the kind of the gross experimentation that would be involved in giving a man a womb and then putting a human being inside that, and, and what could happen? I mean, this is this is actually experimenting on the human race on a, on a large scale just to to justify a bizarre ideology, you know. And we know that there are kind of crazy, wacko scientists out there who want to push the bounds of reality because they want to see what's achievable. But actually, you know, when you see people saying that they are entitled to, to female wombs and they're entitled to the experience of um, childbirth and pregnancy, well, of course, a man, even if he had a womb, he wouldn't be able to give birth naturally it would be a cesarean and you know you think of all that's involved in that you know right from the environmental impacts um just to the impact on on the human person and the human child this is really kind of major nasty stuff um and, and you know it's kind of going down a, a slippery slope i mean you would think it was a joke wouldn't you that, that men saying that they ought to be able to have babies and have wombs you know why would you do that when you've got so many women who really struggle with infertility and, and you know wants to be able to to conceive and then you're saying oh actually i'm going to give a bloke it is just where, where would the womb even come from oh it would come from you know somebody who's donated it who's passed oh, away oh yeah. my god I like the, the whole thing it sounds like some some of the like flipping nazi or yeah. japanese world war ii experiments that they were trying to do 
yeah yeah i mean it is it, it is gross um so you know there, there is a sinister side to it and i and, you know and i do think this is one of the reasons why we do need to uh, to push back on it um, and I think I think I also think when Brexit is over you know parliamentarians need to raise this and they need to stop the police interfering in, in, in people expressing these doubts uh, and yeah, we need yeah. to have much more of a debate. Okay Caroline how do we save the world then? I'm, tr- I'm trying to do my I'm trying to do my bit here I'm, uh, talking, <laughs> I'm talking I'm talking to all these ladies who have been who have been persecuted oh, yeah. over the last few weeks I didn't <laughs> <laughs> Just keep talking. Just refuse yeah. to be silenced, you know. And I'm, as I said, I'm lucky. I'm really lucky in that I've kind of got away with it. I hope that I shouldn't speak too soon. I'm touching wood here. Um, but you know what? Just use what's happened to me and say, have you heard? Have you heard about that that journalist? You know, and she had the police knocking on her door because she talked about Susie Green's son being castrated. And, you know, talk about, you know, free speech, talk about whether or not a child who has their testicles removed aged 16, whether that's ethical, whether or not they're a man or a woman, you know, use use what's happened to me, not to go, yeah, Caroline Farrow is amazing and fantastic, because we know that, um, but actually, <laughs> <laughs> we, this is established, but actually talk about, because, you know, I'm very aware at the moment, there's a lot of press and interest about, but this isn't about me. Uh, and, you know, I am just voicing the concerns of loads and loads of, of women out there. And, you know, go on Mumsnet. I would say, you know, I've learned <laughs> so much from the Mumsnet forum. You know, go on there, get informed, because this matters. You know, this is this is a really fundamental issue uh, which affects the whole of society. What does it mean to be male and what does it mean to be female? Is what we're currently going through, is this a good thing for society? No. And, you know, I'm hoping that it's going to be a rebalancing. There has to be. Has to be. Yeah, I think there will be. I mean, I said last year, and I was saying again today that I think there are going to be a lot of surprising alliances over yeah. the next over the next months and years to come because you know certain things are going to such a degrees that I think a lot of people are feeling disenfranchised or abandoned by some of the people who they thought were on their side or who they thought would align with them and support them on certain things. I mean, I'm seeing this a lot. You know, there's all these women in particular who are getting you know, getting getting dragged through the media spotlight, getting criminally investigated and things for, for speaking up for speaking out on some of this stuff. Do you know who's had my back over this? Who has had my back the most over this? It's not the Catholic Church, it's lesbians. Oh really? You know, it's these people who I'm supposed to hate and they're supposed to me hate me. There's been silence from the institutional, you know, Catholic Church in the UK over this. But who has it? Who's had my back over all the abuse and, you know, everything that I've gone through? It's been the radical feminist lesbians, you know. And so, yeah, you know, it's kind of reinforced my faith in, in womankind. Really. Yeah. Why, why do you think that is? Why, why lesbians specifically? Um, I think because they've been uh, really targeted by this by this ideology themselves, you know, and I think lesbians out of, you know, the LGBT alliance, you know, lesbians are always the most marginalized and find themselves kind of, you know, the most taboo. Um, there's this kind of stereotype of, of, of a gay man and he's very wealthy and, you know, the pink pound and it's all show tunes and, you know, <laughs> friends with Dorothy and all, all these sort of caricatures. But, you know, uh, lesbians are it's kind of hated really lesbians are hated because they don't fancy men um and and i think they they have just seen what's happened to me and they've seen men being really misogynistic and really hideous mm. and they've just come out and they've said you know what feminism is we hold the line we there's andrea dorkin you know we we hold the line with our sisters uh and you know i've been kind of profoundly grateful and moved and humbled that it has been the lesbian community, particularly when I was speaking out against um, same-sex marriage and about abortion, which they vehemently disagree on, actually they've still said it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Caroline. You know, we're still behind you because we can see what's happening. And you know, it's it's been oh, it's been re- it's it's been amazing for me actually. And and I I regard you know many of, of these radical feminist lesbians as actually you know my true sisters. You yeah. Know? Well, that, that's that's interesting. That's very interesting <laughs> because. You know, I think on on lots of different sides and from lots of different angles. I th- like I said, I just think people are finding that they have, you know, people are understanding. I mean, it sounds so fundamental and obvious, and it's something that's been obvious to me as a kid that you can disagree with people on some things, but still have common ground and still treat each other with decency, right? There's not going to be anyone out there in the world or very few who you align with entirely on every issue and i think for whatever reason 
people get used to this very binary black and white thinking, thinking that, okay, if this person agrees with me on, disagrees with me on this one thing, then they need to be banished and they, I can't even talk to them and I'm not going to listen to them. And they're just, they're just an idiot or they're just a, a racist, sexist, bigot, homophobe, tra- like whatever, la- like they're just the worst thing you can call them because they disagree on this one thing. And I think slowly, but surely people are going to realize that that's a very immature and unrealistic view of the world because people are individuals. People do have different opinions. Sometimes they're going to clash. Um, But even when they clash, you can still have a discussion. You can still have a debate and at least try to understand that other person's perspective. I mean, one beautiful thing about me um, doing this podcast now for a couple of months is just being able to talk to, I mean, I'm always someone who talks to a big range of people anyway, but just being able to, you know, talk to different people, see where they're coming from. Again, there'll be stuff we agree on. There'll be things we disagree on or view from different angles or different priorities or whatever. But the way I look at the world is ultimately we all need to get on with each other. You know, like we, we're all living in, we're, we're all in everyone in the UK. It's like, okay, we're all, we're all on this Island. So, (laughs) so, so let's, uh, let's get on with each other as well as we can. Oh, it's all very hippie-ish, isn't it? Peace and love. <laughs> yeah, very. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's a whole premise, isn't it? You can you can really disagree with somebody. You can disagree with the choices you've made. They've made, but that doesn't mean you hate them. It just exactly. means, you know, we we all we all we all we're all doing our best, aren't we? We're all doing our best to live a good life according to our own moral codes. And I think that's not moral relativism because i think you know there there are some ideals that we should aspire to and and that supersede other ideals but just because you have a different idea doesn't mean that i hate you or you're a terrible person or mm. you, you know i mustn't talk to you it's just like okay let's see what we can agree on um yeah. you know and hey it doesn't it doesn't stop you know basic human friendship does it and, absolutely and, and, do so. you find do you find that um just being a catholic woman in the UK, which you shouldn't think should really be some kind of crazy, contentious, rare position. But do you find that that is becoming increasingly, I don't know what the word is, not not necessarily marginalized, but maligned and misrepresented? Well, I think because I'm deemed to be an extremist Catholic, because I agree and promote all the difficult stuff. So all the hard stuff that the church teaches, I accept and I promote and I think is a good thing. And and people can't get their heads around that because we live, the zeitgeist is very very sort of sexually libertine. And so uh, people think I'm wanting to police other people's bedrooms and, and they just can't get their heads around why I believe it. And, you know, most Catholics don't agree with the Catholic church uh, on all these difficult things mm, so uh, yeah yeah so I'm, I'm deemed quite sort of extreme and outrageous but actually I'm not I'm just mainstream right th- this is mainstream orthodox Christianity you know uh, it's it's not an outrageous thing but um, I think people just have to realize that you know mm. yes I do believe all this and I think it brings you happiness you know I, I it certainly does actually bring me happiness uh, what doesn't is you know people kind of the assumptions and the hatred but then you know my faith tells me that you know we were told that it wasn't good you know jesus told us it wasn't going to be easy um you know and i was perhaps being really naive when i started out years ago i thought that people go yeah she's got some really good things to say and oh this is really interesting (laughs) oh wow tell me more you know and i didn't anticipate the kind of the volume of hate and, and vitriol but you know i should have realized that actually we are told we're told by jesus you know that I come, you know, to set brother against brother, that, that this is, life is a veil of tears and it's not going to be easy, but you've just got to do the best that you can. Absolutely. So, okay, Caroline. So, uh, so what's next for you? I'm, I'm just going to keep plugging on and, and, and keep trying to do what I do and, and say what I say and, and, and try and convince people of the truth of the world as I see it. Become a Catholic. It's marvelous. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Protestant. I'm a, I'm a Protestant already, but that that's that can oh, be cool. Wow, there's always always hope. Not Catholic yet. That's <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> but you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna let it stop me. Um, and I just hope that I can carry on with kind of good humor and good faith, and you know, see what happens. Caroline Farrow, thank you so much for joining Real Talk with Zuby. Have a good one. Sick of the 
Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.